You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. Welcome, everyone, to Wiley Connected. My name is Kat Scott, and I'm a partner in Wiley's telecom media and technology practice. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Dwayne Poza, Antonio Reynolds, and Steve Conley, and we are going to be talking about the latest revision to the safeguards rule under the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, or the GLBA. As a quick level set, the safeguards rule requires covered financial institutions to implement information security programs with very specific requirements uh, to protect customer information. And the latest revisions to that rule will be going into effect on June 9th of this year. So before we dive in and start discussing the new safeguards rule, I want to flag a couple of points to note at the outset. So first, the threshold definition of who is covered by the rule is really broad. Uh, And it doesn't just cover traditional financial institutions. For example, it can cover companies that are not consumer facing, but that handle financial data. It can also cover companies that facilitate or provide financing options for products. Second, the revised rule, unlike the previous version of the rule, uh, has a number of very detailed requirements and it mandates specific security measures. So practically speaking, what does this mean? Um, As we transition to the new rule this June, uh, it's important for companies to take a fresh look at whether they are covered and if so, how their current compliance strategies need to be updated. Uh, Given the breadth of the rule and the granularity of the new requirements, both tasks are relatively heavy lifts. At Wiley, we advise a wide range of clients on these questions and compliance efforts, so we want to spend today's podcast doing a deep dive into some of the key issues we're helping our clients through as folks get ready for the June 9th effective date. So with that, let's dive right in. Let's start with the basics. What is the safeguards rule and who is covered? Thanks, Kat. This is Dwayne. The FTC's safeguards rule implements the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, or the GLBA, and it was originally enacted in 2003. It requires covered financial institutions, which are non-bank financial institutions that the FTC regulates, to implement information security programs to protect consumer information. There are parallel requirements under the GLBA that apply to banking institutions as well that are enforced by prudential banking regulators rather than the FTC. But the scope of the FTC's rule is pretty broad. The data covered is very broad. In general, the rule applies to all customer information that's in the possession of a covered financial institution. That includes information from former customers. And it generally applies to businesses that engage in activities that are financial in nature or that engage in activities that are incidental to such financial activities. That definition is also pretty broad. It includes, among other businesses, mortgage lenders and brokers, finance companies, financial account servicers, collection agencies, auto dealers, companies offering installment plans, and fintech companies that engage in consumer financial activities such as credit transactions. So it's pretty broad. So before we get into the revised rule, I think it might be helpful to look backwards before we look forwards and see how the rule has changed. So Steve, what does the safeguards rule currently require? Yeah, Kat. So um, there are really seven big components to the current safeguards rule. 
broadly requires financial institutions to first implement an information security program. And this is uh, the cornerstone of Safeguard's rule compliance, as it is a financial institution's policies procedure, and procedures designed to protect customer information. Rule requires that the, the information security program address information security risk contained in all areas of operation. Now, the second big requirement is that um, covered financial institution designate an employee or employees to coordinate the information security program. Third, the covered financial institution must identify risks to the security and integrity of customer information through risk assessments and base the information security program on such security risks. Fourth, covered financial institutions are required to implement safeguards to control risks. Fifth, they're required to regularly test or monitor the effectiveness of such safeguards. Sixth, they're required to oversee third-party service providers um, that handle co uh, covered customer information. Now, this, uh, this requirement uh, really obligates covered financial institutions to do two things. Uh, first, they have to take reasonable steps to select and retain service providers that are capable of maintaining appropriate safeguards for customer information. And second, they, are con they have to contractually require such service providers to implement and maintain safeguards. Uh, and the final big requirement here um, is that covered financial institutions evaluate and adjust the information security program based on testing and monitoring material changes to operations or business arrangements or other circumstances that could have a material impact on the information security program. Got it. Thanks, Steve. Okay, so let's talk about how the safeguards rule is changing come June 9th. At a high level, what do the new requirements entail, Antonio? Sure, thanks, Kat. So uh, the safeguards rules revisions have many more specific requirements. So as you mentioned at the outset, the prior safeguards rule was really flexible. It was largely risk-based. So companies that handle sensitive information obviously were expected to have more robust controls and policies and procedures in place. Um, that will change on June 9th and will impose significant obligations on all companies that are covered. So in short, the revised safeguards rule will require financial institutions to implement a comprehensive written information, information security program with the revised rural criteria. So instead of the broader kind of more flexible, sometimes amorphous standards or expectations that we saw in connection with the old safeguards rule, there are specific things that would need to be addressed and reflected in this comprehensive written information security program. In addition, uh, the, a company must appoint a qualified individual to oversee the information security program. So there's a little less flexibility in who gets to oversee the program. It does need to have uh, be a person who has some technical expertise to actually manage the information security program. And then there are some very specific safeguards that are in place. Um, some years ago, the FTC had promulgated uh, some guidance for small businesses relating to cybersecurity and outlined a range of things that companies should consider doing in connection with information security. And now a number of those safeguards are um, expected or mandatory, including encryption, uh, multi-factor authentication, certain retention and disposal policies, as well as system logging. Um, in terms of system testing and monitoring, companies should conduct continuous monitoring or periodic penetration testing. Uh, many companies, of course, already do this. Some, some smaller companies uh, do not, so that will be an enhanced expectation. Uh, conduct regular employee security awareness training is also a new uh, requirement. And then companies should periodically assess their third-party service providers to assess the, the extent to which 
those companies are also complying with the safeguards rule. Um, that qualified individual that I mentioned uh, before, that person should report in writing to the financial institution's board of directors and or company leadership. And then finally, uh, companies should establish a written incident response plan. So that includes creating uh, the plan itself when there is a uh, security incident. But it can also include things like um, tabletop exercises to assess the adequacy of the uh, information security or incident response plan and things of that nature as well. Got it. There's a lot there for sure. Uh, But you mentioned that under the new rule, uh, financial institutions have to appoint that qualified individual to implement the information security program. I'm wondering, is that basically a requirement to appoint chief information security officer or a CISO? How is that really different from the current requirements? Well, one, I think the person needs to have the title. <laughs> Beyond the qualifications, starting with just the title of um, either a CISO or some other role where it's clear that that person Um, from a technical standpoint, is on point to lead and to um, manage the information security program. You know, sometimes companies, especially small companies, might have, you know, their chief marketing officer, someone else managing their program, given their their size and their structure. The qualified individual piece of this is there is an expectation that the person who is managing it is clearly designated as such, but also has some technical expertise to actually help manage the program for the company. Right. Okay. So let's talk more specifically about some of the safeguards that financial institutions have to start implementing or addressing come June 9th. At a general level, Steve, can you walk us through what these safeguards are? Yeah. Thanks, Kat. And I will try to keep this general, although I will say that these eight safeguards are pretty prescriptive. First, Financial institutions are required to implement access controls on all customer information. This includes information stored electronically on systems, and the rule suggests password protections, um, and then also information stored in physical locations. And here, the rule suggests things like door locks or keycard access systems. Uh, Note that this also applies to service providers and vendors that have covered financial institution customer information. Um, so they will have to also, your, your vendors and your service providers will also have to implement these safeguards, just like the covered financial institution. Uh, second, um, financial institutions are required to implement secure development practices. Now, basically, um, this has to do with uh, when a covered financial institution has uh, their own uh, applications that, uh, that they develop uh, to transmit, access, or store customer information they have to make sure that those applications are secure. The rule doesn't go into a lot of specifics here, um, but but on a high level um, that, you know, from a cybersecurity standpoint, they these systems um, have, you know, patches in place, security in place um, to, to prevent, um, you know, unauthorized access. And while companies may uh, elect to use a third party to evaluate um, application security, the FEC suggests that financial institutions may also be able to set up automated searches uh, regarding vulnerabilities, patches, and updates to software um, that are used for, uh, for, for you know, transmitting and housing customer information. Third, covered financial institutions are required to take uh, system inventory. Um, and what this means is that you know, such inventory uh, has to include all systems that are part of the business so that the company can locate all customer information that it controls. Fourth, Covered finance institutions are required to implement encryption for data both in transit and at rest. 
This does not include data that is being transferred over internal networks. Fifth, finance institutions are required to implement multi-factor authentication. And Antonio mentioned this earlier as well, um, but this is defined under the rule as authentication through verification of at least two of the following types of authentication factors. One, knowledge factors such as a password. Two, possession factors such as a token. Or three, inherence factors such as biometric characteristics. And again, two of those factors uh, must be used for authentication. Sixth, financial institutions are required to implement change management procedures. Now, these govern the addition, removal, or modification of elements of an information system. Um, specifically, covered companies need to uh, develop procedures to evaluate the security of their devices, their networks, and other items that are to be added to their information system, or the impact of removing those items or revising the structure of their system. Seventh, financial institutions need to implement system policies, procedures, and controls designed to monitor and log the activity of authorized users, as well as to detect unauthorized access to, to customer information. Eighth, financial institutions need to implement procedures to securely dispose of customer information no later than two years after the last date the information was used in connection with the provision of a product or service to a customer. And covered financial institutions need to uh, periodically review their data retention policies in connection with this requirement uh, to minimize unnecessary data retention. So that's helpful. I mean, they're really rigid requirements that we were just listing out. Dwayne, are there any exceptions that we should be flagging here? Sure. So Steve ticked through a, a number of very specific requirements that companies have to uh, go through. In some of these areas, there are a few exceptions um, for companies to be able to modify their program. So, for example, there's a limited exception to the encryption requirement, um, provided that encryption is infeasible, as it's put in the rule. Um, if that's the case, then a financial institution can secure customer information using effective alternative compensating controls, as long as they're reviewed and approved by the qualified individual. In other areas, um, multi-factor authentication allows either use of that tool or, or method or reasonably equivalent controls, again, as long as they are approved by the company qualified individual. Um, the two-year use rule for the disposal of customer information is actually um, somewhat broader than that. Um, the, the presumptive two-year rule doesn't apply if the information is necessary for business operations or other legitimate business purposes, which can be actually quite broad since companies often need to keep information for business purposes uh, for much longer. It also doesn't apply if it's otherwise required to be retained by law or regulation, or if the targeted disposal is not feasible, reasonably feasible due to the manner in which the information is maintained. And then uh, the last piece is on the continuous monitoring, which is obviously a, a, a pretty um, sophisticated step that companies, particularly smaller companies, would have to take. Um, you know, covered companies are required to implement either continuous monitoring of their network or periodic penetration testing and vulnerability assessments um, in, instead um, on the time frame that is laid out in the rule. And, and the last piece of this is there is also an exception for companies that are very small in terms of the data they collect. Companies that maintain data on fewer than 5,000 customers are exempt from some portions of the rule as well. Got it. Okay, so moving on to the employee training requirement, at a high level, what does that entail? 
Well, generally, financial institutions are required to implement both security training for their general personnel, that is, even personnel who don't have security-specific functions need to have a certain level of training on cybersecurity and data security. They also have to utilize qualified information security personnel um, that have more specialized expertise. There is an uh, understanding that some companies may need to satisfy that last requirement by hiring third-party service providers. That is, if they don't have somebody on their staff that has the requisite level of technical expertise for data security, um, they can hire third parties um, as long as they're adequately supervised and have the expertise to, to help them in terms of um, maintaining um, the information security program, insisting also with training. Um, any and all employee training programs need to be informed by the risks that are identified. So as part of that risk assessment at the outset of this process, you know, each company will be different. Each company has different kinds of risks, and they really should try to tailor the, the training that they give the employees um, to the kind of risks that they've identified um, in order to make sure that those are the ones that are top of mind and are addressed. So I want to dig in a little on one of the requirements you're talking about, utilizing qualified information security personnel. Do companies have to hire new information security teams generally for this? Steve, have you have you run into this issue? Yeah, so 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 not necessarily. In in the you know the Federal Register publication of the rule lays this out. The FTC uh, describes this a little in a little bit of detail here. So. Some financial institutions, and especially smaller companies, may be, may be able to hire third-party service providers that can handle um, this functionality. Um, you know, going off of that, covered financial institutions to meet this requirement really only need to ensure that such personnel can perform the duties required in the information security program. That being said, you know, the more covered customer information that is on information systems the complexity of the information systems, the more complex they are, as well as, you know, if, if, if the company is, is larger and maintains just more systems, more information, has more personnel, um, then that company uh, may very well need to hire dedicated uh, personnel to fulfill this requirement. And I would also say that even where you're hiring third-party service providers, we have to just remember that they still have to meet, you know, a lot of the, the those safeguards that we discussed earlier. So any any third party service provider that is coming in also needs to meet the uh, same safeguards that a covered financial institution has, provided that they are holding covered financial institutions customer information, um, and that's all part of the third party oversight um, piece that we touched on earlier. Yeah, and to that end, with respect to uh, third party oversight. Antonio, how is that requirement to oversee third-party service providers changing at all? How does that stack up against what the current rule is? Well, with the upcoming rule, financial institutions must now periodically assess the risks that service providers present, and they must assess the adequacy of those service provider controls. So in the past, companies, financial institutions have always been required to select and retain service providers that are capable of maintaining uh, appropriate customer information safeguards. And when those companies, financial institutions, entered into contracts with those companies, they uh, had to have provisions to implement and main maintain the safeguards by contract. And so in the past, you know, many companies would conduct 
kind of periodic reviews of maybe companies that were handling their most sensitive information. Um, but, but now there is an expectation that as a general matter, to the extent that companies are relying on uh, service providers, that they will be periodically reviewing um, those controls. There's not a specified time frame for that. I don't know if that means annually or something else, uh, but generally there, there would be an expectation that actual reviews are happening. Got it. So I want to move now to talk about incident response plans and the requirement under the new safeguards rule for that. Are there any details that you want to highlight that are part of that requirement, Steve? Yeah, th- thanks, Kat. This is a brand new rule that that, that will be uh, in effect on June 9th. This is a, a brand new piece of the safeguards rule. And, you know, th- this requires covered financial institutions to establish a written incident response plan that's basically designed to help them respond to and recover from any security event that uh, poses a material impact to customer information. And I would just note here that, you know, the definition of security event under the new rule is very broad. I mean, it includes, quote, an event resulting in unauthorized access to or disruption or misuse of an information system information stored on such system or customer information held in physical form. Uh, Therefore, you know, even unsuccessful attacks may meet this burden in this definition. As I stated earlier, though, it's important that the incident response plan here not address every security event. Harvard Finance Institutions focus those plans on those that would materially affect customer information. And the big components that the plan should address include First, the goals of the plan. Second, the internal procedures for responding to a security event. Third, the definition of clear roles, responsibilities, and levels of decision-making authority. Fourth, external and internal communications and information sharing. Fifth, identification requirements for the remediation of any identified weaknesses in information systems and associated controls. Sixth, documentation and reporting pertaining to security events and related incident response activities. And seventh, the evaluation and revision of the incident response plan following a security event, um, if that's necessary, you know, if, if there's an event to report. Okay. So just looking ahead, what can we expect, Dwayne, when the safeguards rule becomes effective? So good question. I think based on past experience, uh, the FTC is likely to conduct a pretty broad compliance sweep. Uh, to make sure that companies are complying with the new rule. I think this is fairly standard when there is a substan- substantial new rule that gets put into effect. Uh, the FTC will look pretty broadly at the marketplace to see if there's compliance. Uh, FTC staff is very attuned to consumer complaints. So any company should make sure that their complaints about their data security practices are prioritized and addressed. Companies should also make sure their written information security programs are completed and buttoned up by the deadline. Um, uh, We all know data security is difficult, even under the best of circumstances, and it's much harder when there are bad actors out there constantly trying to uh, hack into systems, steal data, spread ransomware, um, and basically engage in criminal activities that are targeting a lot of companies. But the first step to addressing it for the purpose of safeguards rule compliance is to have that bedrock information security program in place and really make sure you're going through all the different parts of uh, the new requirements to make sure those are set up um, as you look forward to implementing. 
Got it. Well, thank you so much, Dwayne, Antonio, and Steve, for all of this good information. We want to make sure that uh, folks who are listening know where to look if they want to learn more about the safeguards rule. So I just want to flag a few really good resources uh, for the audience. So first, we recommend that uh, financial institutions or folks who don't yet know if they're a covered financial institution to check out our webinar on the revised safeguards rule. Uh, It's uh, entitled the FTC's revised safeguards rule, how to navigate new information security requirements. The webinar can be found on our website and is linked in the email about this podcast as well. Um, Second, for a more general overview, we also recommend the client alert that we wrote on the revised safeguards rule. That one's entitled FTC releases detailed information security requirements and proposes breach notifications for financial institutions. This is also linked in the email about the podcast and can help accompany this podcast. It's just walking through the high-level issues. You can also feel free to reach out to any of us uh, should you have any questions about the implications of the revised safeguards rule, including any changes you might need to be making to your information security program ahead of June 9th. So with that, uh, we thank you for your time and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected Podcast brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.